Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans, and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Hello and welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner, uh, author of Turner's Take Newsletter and a commodity broker here at StoneX. I work in the grain and oil seed markets, but uh, the team uh, right behind me, they're in the commercial energy and right in front of me uh, on the next trading desk over is our dairy operations. Got the OTC desk maybe 30 feet away and I'm not too far from our interest rate guys too. And of course, I'll know Josh Linville in, uh, in fertilizer. So if you have any questions about what we do here, whether it be my specialties in the grain and oil seeds or you know, other facets of StoneX and the teams that I work closely with, please let me know. Happy to help out anytime. If you like the podcast, uh, please give us a, a review on iTunes. It really helps people find us. If you want to check out the newsletter, you can go to turnerstake.com. Uh, anyone can reach me by email at craig.turner at stonex.com. I'm Office number is 312-706-7610. All information should be in the show notes for the podcast. And clients, you can contact me anytime. And you should also have my cell. So feel free to call my cell or shoot me a text. All right, so let's get into it here. Going to have to be a short one. I, uh, uh, man, so I got up real early this morning. I'm going on a Boy Scout camping trip. And uh, it's one. You know, for this one in February, it's tradition for the dads to make chili. And uh, so I was making chili in my first batch last night. I just put too much salt in it. So I ended up having to make a second batch. So I did that this morning. And this one came out. Actually, I was pretty pretty satisfied with the second one. But I don't make it often. And uh, But, uh, yeah, it's been an early morning already. So let's, uh, let's uh, get into it here. Um, so we had the Ag Forum come out yesterday, and they're, they're talking today too, but yesterday on Thursday, what's interesting about the Ag Forum is they, the economists at the USDA will release their ideas on acres and their supply and demand. So the supply and demand balance tables. You know, the economists usually do a pretty good job. Like they'll take a look at the United States as a whole, They'll look at past trends, where you know where input costs are, what projected revenue is per acre. Like they know, you know, Illinois and Iowa are mostly going to do their 50-50 rotation, and there's also other states that surround them with very good ground that will do the same. But the farther you get away from those states, and that heart of the, you know, of the Corn Belt, you know, you input costs matter more, you know, more um, revenue per acre. Um, profit per acre matter more, and you do see these changes. And the USDA economists are are fairly good at, at. They might not get the exact number right on the acres, but they do get the trend right. So what they came out and said was 91 million acres for corn, and last year at 88 or something like that, 88 and a half. So we'll get more corn acres, and that makes sense with where prices are and the and the price relationships between corn and soybeans. Wheat's going up, but we already knew that. We already knew winter wheat was going higher. 
And it doesn't look like spring wheat is going that much higher from the best I could tell uh, in terms of acres, but winter wheat certainly is. Um, uh, and USDA had some nice graphics showing like where the winter wheat, uh, the hard red winter wheat was coming from, which a lot of it was through Texas, which almost makes me think a lot of that was planted for insurance purposes. But on the Eastern side of the United States, you know, where we had the growth in soft red winter wheat, that Chicago uh, wheat, that looked like the real deal to me in, and also in growing areas that don't have drought, um, that should really produce a, you know, knock on wood, a pretty good crop as long as things keep on going well. Um, so that's probably the kiss of death right there, but you know, it should go well. And, um, you know, and is it just wheat acres or is it more, or my view, is it more likely to be double cropped with soybeans? I think that works out the best on paper for a lot of these guys. We'll see. Um, I mean, I know down in the, you know, down South, you know, some of the farmers um, in the Delta area really can change. I mean, I was surprised like they could, you know, they could start planting next week and uh, they have a lot more ability to switch what they want to plant. Uh, so I, f I found that kind of interesting. So there's going to be some switching, you know, here and there. But um, what was interesting, so there was more wheat acres. And I think, you know, the USDA is right about that. But they also kind of had a head start with the seedings report coming out in January. What was interesting is soybeans stayed the same at 87 million. Now, I don't know if we're going to have, I don't know if that mix is going to be exactly right. 91 for corn and 87 for soybeans and 49 for wheat. But what I do think the USDA is getting right here is an increase in corn, an increase in wheat, and soybeans lagging behind. Now, what that that mix eventually looks like from the farmers, we'll see. But what I found the ag form to be the most beneficial for me for over the years is just give me a direction where the farmer likely goes. And what the actual numbers are in March, we'll just find out. But at least I, they get the pattern right. Um, more time, they usually get the pattern right. So that's what I'm expecting. Knowing that, you know, I take a look at my balance sheets. I'm going to bring them up right now. I, I, you know, and, you know, put, we use the USDA's balance sheets too. <coughs> Excuse me. Just, I got over this cold about a couple of, a week or two ago, but the cough still kind of lingers. It's annoying. Um, so, you know, with, with corn at 91 million acres and 81 or 81 and a half, you know, 181 and a half yield. I know it's a big yield, but, you know, over the years, we haven't had great weather as a whole in the United States for a while. And this year it could happen, you know, with La Nina ending and some of the long-term forecasts. And I know there's drought in the western part of the mid, you know, in the western part of the belt. And that may affect the hard red Kansas City wheat crop. But, it, you know, if we do see better rains and weather, we could have a decent or average corn and soybean crop, um, which is still in the cards. And the Easter Belt could be pretty good. Um, and it's, I'll say this too about yields, it's for as bad as the weather has been in, in stretches for the past couple of years, the way the yields kind of hung in there, you know, and, you know, just posting, you know, a, a 173 last year and a 176 the year before, and a 177 the year before, and a 171 the year before. There were, you know, before that, there were issues in a lot of those crop years where, you know, if the technology hadn't, you know, and the farming practices hadn't advanced over time like they have, um, 
you know, those yields have been lower. So what happens when you actually get some very good weather or some normal, quote unquote, normal weather um, throughout? And, you know, we've have had like a three year kind of La Nina, you know, La Nina deal here um, or three season La Nina deal here, depending on how you want to interpret the weather. Um, two to three. So 181 yield, I wouldn't be shocked if we get pretty decent weather throughout. We'll see. Um, it's kind of, people are saying that's kind of high in the sky or being over optimistic at this time of year. And I get that. But at 91 million acres, and let's just call it a 181, um, ending stocks go from you know 1.2 to 1.8, basically, or 1.3 to 1.8. More importantly, we go from an ending stocks to use ratio of about just under 9% to over 12%. That's really the key here. Um, what that means is days of supply is going from basically like 32 days, so just about a month, to almost 45 days, so a month and a half. And that, you know, and you know what what that really means I, for me is we're going from a tight market to an adequately supplied market. So what does that mean? So, you know, now I don't think we're going to down in the dumps, you know, to the low prices of 2018, you know, at the height of the tariff war and, you know, you know, and China loses, you know, 40% of their, you know, hog population because of uh, ASF and and all that stuff. But, you know, we're, you know, we're setting up for lower prices. Still think they're going to be elevated, but lower prices than where we are now or particularly where we are last summer. So I think the market sees that too. We did see corn sell off yesterday, um, late later in the day. Uh, if I'm, and also too, there are a lot of people thinking what 91 million acres may be a little low for corn. Um, could be 92. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. Um, but I do think if you do get a decent yield, uh, we'll have some pretty good, pretty good ending stock numbers um, on the supply side. Corn, December corn, you know, could have a low. You know, even at a 91 million acres planted and a 181 yield. I mean, I guess corn could go to the low fives in that scenario. The thing is, you know, South America is gonna to have to have a pretty decent crop. The Argentine crop gets worse and worse, it seems, week by week, in terms of all the numbers coming out. Brazil and Paraguay are overproducing, but the gains in Brazil and Paraguay aren't gonna offset Argentina, um, but they will help out. So I don't think the situation is bad as people think it is. Or And that's also, you know, I've had questions like, why isn't soybeans going to $17 or corn over seven on this Argentina news? And it's because, it's because Brazil and Paraguay are going to be able to make up, you know, some of the losses and people don't like talk. I mean, listen, it, that doesn't make it in Twitter and in the finance and then the, you know, in the press, agricultural press, like it doesn't matter if it's South America, Europe, the Black Sea, uh, the United States or Canada. I mean, what makes the news and the pictures going around on social media is the damage. It's never the good crops. So you know, just keep that in mind. Um, there's always some kind of balance out there. And I think that's why we're seeing what we are, the way the markets are behaving. Um, an interesting other point is just to give you a, an idea of where the markets are behaving. When we take a look at like March versus July, and this could be corn or soybeans, you know, March versus July is hanging in there. I mean, the U.S. stocks are tight. We need a good South American crop to let those spreads come in. There's now questions about the South American crop, like how much they're going to add. 
So those spreads have been staying inverted, you know, March versus July, probably May versus July too. But what's going to be interesting is July versus these in corn or July versus November in uh, soybeans or July versus November in canola. And we'll see how those spreads start to react because the July months are going to basically be, you know, South America is going to be known. And then the July months really will be about global old crop production versus the United, basically North America um, production for new crop. And if there's enough supply and how much price rationing needs to happen in the second, you know, at the end of the marketing year to wait for new crop to come in. I think what's going to end up happening. So if we do have some big, big acreage numbers and big yield numbers for new crop, um, those old crop spreads will start to come in. So I'm keeping an eye on like septis corn, July Dece corn, July Nove soybeans, July Nove canola. Wheat's a little bit different. I think wheat's going to be tight year over year for at least another year. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I have a feeling the those spreads, you know, you know, that's what, you know, I'm watching those spreads to see if they continue to come in. Also, like July versus Dece soybean meal. I mean, soybean meal is so high oil's low, we're going to see a really big demand, I think, for crush in North America between soybeans and canola for renewable biodiesel. Um, and it's just going to, it's going to put more meal on the market that we need, and it's going to drive this demand for soybean oil. Be interesting to see what happens with that March versus Dece soy meal spread, that July versus Dece soy meal spread, just how the, the market structure is going. So I think the spreads are going to be very important part of getting the market direction, what's going on internally in some of these markets. One thing that I really like, whether you're on the spec or hedge side and uh, you have, and you're a producer, a farmer, is the like Dece versus Dece corn spread, the no versus no soybean spread. Um, I do think those come in. If I need to, you know, I think uh, it's a lower risk way to kind of hedge some of the new, uh, new crop risk. Uh, from the from the buy side uh, on the consumer side, food and beverage or manufacturing or whatever it may be, um, you know, feed. I mean, really, I think what you're going to continue to see here is everyone's going to be covered for new crop, for old crop. You know, they're going to have, they're going to probably make sure they have enough coverage to get through the end of this uh, this marketing year because this is the marketing year that's tight. And, you know, the concern will be, what if you get another drought or something like that? You don't want to get, or something crazy happens in, you know, the Black Sea, which we're up to the one-year anniversary of the, basically the war, you know, Russia attacking Ukraine. Um, but as long as things go as according to plan, or the averages would suggest, um, you know, prices will be lower next year. So I think what you'll see is you'll see the commercials, the, basically the buyers, commercial buyers, be more active and getting as much coverage as possible um, for old crop, and then probably using strategies to see if new crop prices come down, which it looks like they will. And I think for the the farmer out there, the producer, you gotta um, you gotta move old crop um, here on the rallies when we get them, and then you know the risk is to the downside for new crop, and I would be looking at 23 and 24. To make some advanced sales, I think right now the for old crop the the advantage is to those who hold 
the commodities due to the tight stocks, but for next year and the year after, the advantage may be for the buyer. So, you know, that's the that's the swing of these markets. Um, you know, the commodities, they always say it reverts back to the mean, um, you know, and we've had a couple of years of high prices. And I think that we may be transitioning in next year and the year after um, into where, you know, we could be we could be at lower prices. And I think you're starting to see that in the, in the you know, I think we're starting to see that and you can see it form projections um, yesterday too. So I'm going to just hit up soybeans real quick. You know, 87 and a half million acres and a 52 yield really doesn't increase stocks that much. I mean, we go from like 220 to, I mean, low 200s to high 200s. I mean, that's a stock usage from around 5% to 6% and change. That's still a tight market. Um, to me, that's beans in the teens. It's just that, you know, we're not like $14, $15. We're like $13, maybe not $12. So $12 is not the teens. But, you know, we're kind of $12, $13. You know, when we get to close to a 300 carryout, when you get an adequately, just so you guys understand, like to get an adequately stocked soybean market, I mean, we need to be around a carryout of over $450 million. Um, and that's where the 10% stock to usage line is. I mean, for that to happen this year, what does soybean acres need to be? I mean, soybean acres would need to be 91 million, which isn't even close. I, you can't get 91 million soybeans and 91 million corn and where we did. So I would say that's just impossible uh, to get 91 million acres of soybeans, but that's what it would take with a, a 52 yield to, to get back to a 10% stock to usage, which would mean, you know, soybeans are like 10 bucks on the summer rallies and they're closing around, not, you know, I don't know, a, a nine to $11, you know, soybean market is a 10% stock to usage. You start to get to like a 500 carry out, you know, and now we're in an significantly in an adequately stock, stock market. That's where soybeans is, uh, you know, an eight fifty to ten dollar, you know, or ten fifty, you know, nine to ten fifty. You know, the the harvest lows are breaking nine, and you know your summer highs are in the tens, like that. You know, that's the kind of market that that it trades in. Um, and we're nowhere near that. An eighty, let's say we'd had eighty eight million acres of soybeans. You know, we have a fifty two yield. We're still only at three hundred ending stock. The only way to get to um, for 450 would be if soybeans go to 54 on the yield. So you can out yield a little bit in soybeans at 87 and a half and a 54 yield on soybeans. We do get to a 450 ending stock and we go from tight to adequate. We'd really need a really good soybean crop to do national yield, but that's the only way we get it. Um, where all of a sudden ending the stock to the stock to usage is 10%. And the day's supply is about 37. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you are in the 11s, right? You know, and uh, and they build, and then for the next year, you know, you could be, you know, you could be talking about more of a, a nine, ten, eleven dollar soybean. But that's two years out, and that's got to be two pretty big soybean crops. And right now, we're not getting any help from South America. So corn looks more bearish than soybeans. 
I still think that soybeans can have a pretty decent yield this year. There's going to be a lot of, I think the weather is going to improve in the United States. I think there's a lot of areas in the United States that are big soybean producers that for right now look like they're going to have some pretty, pretty good conditions. Again, knock on wood. But, uh, you know, again, just think about it, 87.5 million acres and a 54 yield gets you to an adequate stock. Now, you might be saying, Craig, you're you're dreaming on that 54 yield, and perhaps I am. What if we're 49? Well, if we're 49 on the yield, I mean, theoretically, ending stocks are zero, which that can't happen. So then you have to cut the crush down of the exports. Most likely, oh, you can't cut the crush. You're going to have to cut the exports. And the exports got to come down. Like, So a 49 yield puts soybeans at $17, $18. A 50 yield means we're in the, fi- means we're in the 15-16s like we have been. A 51 yield probably keeps us in this 12, 13, 14 range. The 52 yield, which is the trend line, you know, it's a 12, 13 market, but, you know, 54 gets us to adequate stock. So what's going to, so in my mind, what that means for soybeans here is uh, we can have some real weather rallies <laughs> in the, so soybeans will be volatile. Soybeans are going to be volatile is, is really, you know, and if the market's thinking we're going towards 50, then we're going to be a dollar, dollar 50 higher. And if the market thinks, wow, this is just unbelievable, good to excellent ratings early on and everything got planted at the right time. You know, we can even be above yield. Um, you know, we're going to be down a dollar, dollar fifty. And we've all seen those soybean markets. The, I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyone who's been trading the soybean market for longer than five years have seen these periods where we're up two dollars and we're down a dollar fifty. And then it's just, you know, it seems like it's chaos, but it's not. It's, it's basically the we're on this line for ending stocks and stocks usage and day supply, where the market's trying to figure out. We're on this line of tightness and adequate and how much of a big difference it can be for prices for that. The way the soybean market is setting up this year. So it's interesting about corn, you know, you know, so corn doesn't trade in a silo or in a bubble, you know, by itself, in a vacuum, I should say. You know, there are rel so if it did, it'd probably be lower or projections would be lower. But because soybeans are high, that keeps corn high. And when you take a look at the wheat market, which I think is what's gonna most likely keep corn above five. For new crop for most of the year and we'll just have to see how harvest comes in um you know at, at 49 let me take a look here for 49 million acres or 49 and a half million acres and about a 49 yield your exports will increase i mean ending stocks get into the 600s but we're stocked to usage is, is in the 30s eh. Like 30, where's stock usage? 35, 34%. Base of supply, you know, 125 to 130. That's okay. I mean, when it comes to corn and soybeans, the market gets real jittery when we only have stock, to, when stock to usage is at like 10%. Um, you know, for the, the wheat market, it's more like a quarter. Like you really need to have three months of supply. They want to see at least. Maybe three to four months. And the reason being is like, you know, you need, you can't run out of wheat, can't run out of wheat, and can't run out of rice. It's it's the most important food uh, groups for calories. Um, 
they're the most inexpensive form of calories for the world. May not be as big of a deal in the United States or in Canada or in Europe, but uh, it is a huge deal in a lot of part, you know, in a lot of regions of the world with bigger populations. Um, and that's going to be basically their main source of diet. So, you know, with corn and soybeans and even and canola, you can always cut back on the biodiesel use. You can always cut back on feed because every, you know, six pounds of grain make, you know, on average one pound of protein. Probably talking more about cattle there. But anyways, like, you know, you know what I mean? You can always cut back on feeding animals and you can always cut back on the energy use um, to get more out of the corn and uh, and soybean ending stocks. But with wheat, 85% of it's used for human consumption anyways. You can't eat the dirt. You know, that's really the lowest, that's the, the cheapest, most plentiful calorie source out there. So as soon as you start getting to a stock usage of like 30%, 35% days of use is, you know, around 120 or something like that. So because it's four months of supply. Um, market gets jittery. Market gets real jittery. And that's why you see these high wheat prices. Um, when I take a look at the individual stocks, I think soft red winter wheat, the Chicago contract, easily gets to adequate levels first. I think hard red winter wheat and spring wheat are going to be tight. So I think what you're going to end up seeing is corn and Chicago wheat kind of have more of a natural price relationship. And you can see, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw, you know, feed wheat coming from soft red winter wheat and, you know, kind of mixing in with corn there. Uh, I think what you will see is Kansas City and Minneapolis really hold some pretty high premiums for another year. I mean, in theory, on the acreage side, Kansas City should increase in terms of ending stocks because of the big production. That's assuming a trend line yield. And honestly, like while there's plenty of time for corn and soybeans in the Western Belt to have trend line yields because it's just February um, and you can definitely get rain. Uh, and moisture coming back from the area, and we, we assume there will be, or we predict there will be, uh, there has been damage done to that winter wheat crop. And, you know, listen, March rains can really help winter wheat, but I don't think we can get back to this trend line yield that we're talking about after all these good to excellent ratings. So, you know, I, I, I'm expecting I'm expecting winter wheat, uh, the hard red winter wheat, to be tight again. And when you take a look at spring wheat, I mean, it was great that Canada got back on track and, you know, the northern part of the United States got back on track, but we're still tight. And the Ukraine, the Black Sea makes a real difference in, in, uh, in the wheat market. And now that we're a year out after, after the war, I think what's interesting is we get to see the real long-term lasting impacts now that the Black Sea war is going to have. And my takeaway it's still early but my you know my takeaway right now of what are the long-term aspects of this black sea and let's just call it for the next three to five years which in the grain and oil seed markets especially in trading is you know an eternity but in the next three to five years the way i'm thinking is you're gonna see, this is how i see things going the united states and canada aren't going to be expanding any more farmland like what's what's used for farmland is used for farmland the only thing that can really expand is is yields, but we keep on finding new ways to use grain and oil seeds, particularly in energy. So, you know, what's here in North America is just what's here in North America. And the acreage mix can be the acreage mix, and you'll, they'll just switch to make sure that we can somehow find a solution where you have adequate stocks 
for markets. And we'll probably see corn get adequate first and then wheat and then soybeans and the acreage mix will just kind of follow that price accordingly for the next three to five years. South America is expanding acreage and that will more, more you know, and we'll see more corn and soybeans. And over the next couple of years, I mean, if South America can get one good year of production again, which maybe next year is the year with La Nina ending, um, you know, that goes a long way in helping out with, <coughs> honestly, one good big year of Argentina and Brazil producing at basically their acres and their trends likely takes care of all the tightness in the soybean and corn market at this point. On the wheat side, though, the Black Sea is a huge deal. When you take a look at the lost production out of Ukraine and the limited exports coming out, you have a situation where you know, there's not going to be a global famine like we were concerned about this time last year. But it keeps wheat prices high. It keeps wheat prices in the United States and Canada, the ending stocks, for spring wheat and winter wheat tight year over year, even with these high prices and the expansion of of acres and what you got to ask yourself then is when does and europe's you know the rest of europe is is growing wheat and expanding wheat acres so what you got to ask yourself is when do you know for wheat prices to relax to get more acres and and yield when does the black sea start getting better and 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 you know and has it has it kind of peaked out from when it's come back in? Like, is, you know, we had the big drop off when the war started and things have been get, getting better with exports, but, you know, Ukraine is only planting like two thirds of their crop. Um, only so much wheat can get out of Russia. The Black Sea still has issues. Can it get any better or is this the best it can be until the war ends? I think those are significant questions. And because of it, you almost have to wonder going forward for the next couple of years, is wheat going to be tight or, you know, while the Black Sea gets sorted out? Because the lost production out of Ukraine is the difference right now between adequate and tight stocks globally and to burden some stocks, right? We all remember a couple of years ago where wheat was trading four and five bucks. And when you take, and, and honestly, the difference between four and five dollar wheat let's call it like five or six, you know, $5 wheat. And let's say the seven and eight and $9 wheat that we see now is probably, is probably, you know, that lost black sea production. And how long does that take? And with the infrastructure damage and the labor that isn't available anymore in Ukraine and, you know, the logistical issues they're having, fuel, you know, resources, whatever it may be, that is not going to be solved overnight. So my mind, Wheat stays tight for longest. Corn is the most likely to get adequate. I think corn, because wheat stays tight the longest and stays elevated, it helps the price of corn over the next three to five years too, where corn might not actually go down as much as you think or would just buy itself from the balance sheets would think because of that higher, higher wheat price. We'll see because soft red winter wheat, the lower protein wheat is gonna go to uh, adequate to maybe even burden some stock, maybe even burden some supplies, but definitely adequate. Um, first, such with all this wheat coming in into the uh, into the eastern corn belt, and the high protein wheat will be last. But um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's gonna be 
it's gonna be interesting. So I think uh, I kind of like going forward. Man, I thought this was gonna be a short podcast for a half hour. In. All right, long story short, mine hasn't changed that much since the ag form. We are setting up for a more volatile summer than I thought between the losses that we're going to see because that frost in Argentina uh, and just looking at the supply and demand balance sheets and the and the and the acreage mix. I think the trends for the spring and summer are corn. You know, we'll have our weather rallies, but corn likely is percentage wise percentage wise probably the biggest loser um, for new crop. I think soybeans could have some crazy days. As the more, you know, depending on how the summer works, we get some really like old school soybean moves, you know, where we're up a couple of dollars in one week and down a dollar fifty the next week. And the wheat market's just going to stay elevated because of uh, the global stocks. I think at the end of the year, when we get to, uh, when we get to harvest, um, corn's going to be lower, the spreads come in. Same thing with soybeans, wheat stays high. And uh, and we move forward. So some of the things that I like right now, I like the septies corn spread. You know, I, you know, I like uh, I like the Dees Dees corn spread, and these are all bear spreads. I like Nov Nov uh, on soybeans. Be interesting to see what happens with July November canola. Um, and I think they're all kind of bear spreading opportunities. If I'm on the buy side. You know, old crop soybeans on weather issues, or you know, if we get the, if we don't get the, we get those low acres, that could be something for soybeans. But I'm kind of more inclined to be selling rallies than buying the dips unless we get real low, um, or or we're coming into a period of where we're going to start planting, or you know, where it's the summer weather um, window. But uh, that's kind of where I am. Uh, we'll save next week to talk more about the macroeconomic and, and the energy markets, but the ag form did come out. Um, that is a big report. I know it doesn't get a lot of play like right now, but it is a big report to, for trends coming out during the year. And the market doesn't care that much because the market cares about now, which it should, that's the whole point of it. Um, you know, but it's uh, the implications and the trends that the USDA say, um, are notable and, you know, I'm sure I know that the big money noticed it too. So the analysts and the banks and uh, and the traders out there. So if you have any questions for me, you can always contact me at 312-706-7610. Uh, my email address is craig.turner at stonex.com. If you're, if you're a client, you can call, uh, text, or email me um, anytime. Uh, you have my cell phone number, so oh, text is always available. And yeah, if you have any questions, please reach out. Otherwise, have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks very much. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniel Trading broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniel's Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others due to various factors such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategy, strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore, investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether
whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www.danielstrading.com. Daniel's Trading is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, or similar service. Daniel's Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.